None of the content on this or any episode of the Cranium Science Podcast, Cranium Science Journal Club, or on any pages of the website kratomscience.com should be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for kratomscience.com. Your source for all things Kratom. My guest is Dirk Netter, author of one of the first German language books on Kratom called Kratom, Ethnobotany, Application, and Culture. And he's active in the formation of a European Kratom Alliance to advocate legality and sensible policy in the European Union. Do you um, live in Germany now or are you still at uh, Philips of um, Marburg? I still live in Marburg right now, but I'm not a student anymore. I have my master's degree and working on my PhD, but I'm still here. What are you uh, working on your PhD in? I'm still in the field of drug research, Okay. but mostly I'm working on the sociology of knowledge of drugs. So it's not uh, Kratom anymore, but it's still in the field of, of, of drugs, yes. Rough research. So you wrote a book about Kratom. It was like one of the first major German language books about Kratom. It's called Kratom Ethnobotany Application and Culture. And I'm just curious if there's any plans for an English translation. Uh, same question some, some years after, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners, we already did a um, text interview some years ago. Yeah. Um. I still want to do an English English translation. I'm still waiting for the second edition, and um, I will talk to my publisher that we can make an English version happening. Unfortunately, I have no say in it, but I think it it would um, sell good. So maybe we can man- manage it next year. Great, great. And uh, you know, I told you I would learn German, but I'm a little behind on <laughs> my German. So. Uh... <laughs> You go through the history of Kratom, the history of botany around Kratom, the whole botany, and then there's like good tips for uh, recipes and um, uh, successful use of Kratom and everything like that. How much time did you spend researching and writing that book? It's hard to say because it was, I did it when I was researching for my master's thesis, which was also on Kratom. So I would say maybe, I did maybe one year of research and preparation and writing. Yeah, you d- we did a um, Ask Me Anything. I was reading through that too as well, just to prepare for this interview. You said originally you were influenced by um, Christian Ratch and uh, Wolf Dieter Storl. Can you talk about them and, and how you're influenced by them? I would say I'm not that influenced by Storl anymore because i yeah i'm, I'm more like a christian Ratch guy now okay <laughs> um um for any uh, if you don't know him he's very famous in germany maybe in america as well um he did the uh, encyclopedia of um, psychoactive substances mm-hmm. which which is a well well good book uh, it's it's selling well i mean he's a drug researcher mainly interested in botany and um mycology and i was always interested not only in the um, effects of drugs but also on the history and botany of them as well 
at uh, Phillips University there, you founded a group. HIPF is the abbreviation uh, in German, but it's uh, the Student Association for Interdisciplinary Psychedelic Research. Is that association still going on, or are they still having activities? Yes, it's still going on. Great. We uh, had a meeting a couple of days ago. I'm not as involved any more as I was before. I founded it, but um, I gave the leadership to my friend who is still a student. I'm not anymore, as I said. Mm-hmm. The coronavirus pandemic made it very hard to make uh, meetings and stuff, but we yeah. transitioned to to uh, online meetings and we are planning to do some some lectures via Discord. Yeah, that's what, what we're slash they are doing right now. Let's get into um, the botany of Kratom because there's not a lot you can find with Googling. Um, There's a lot of stuff on Kratom that's still in books that haven't been digitized. You mentioned uh, Corthel's Diaries. In in our former interview, you said, you know, one of the chapters in your book is about uh, the discovery of Kratom by the first European explorers. And you use some of the diaries of Peter Corthels, the guy who discovered Kratom. He was a Dutch botanist. What can you tell us about Peter Corthels? Uh, what was his earliest discovery of Kratom, and what were his impressions? First of all, Corthels' diary. I think the diary itself is not that interesting for those interested purely in Kratom, I'm afraid. <laughs> but it gave me a lot of background knowledge that helped me with further research. Um, see, Korshals was a very, very good botanist. He he was he laid the groundwork for very, very much like um, research on botany. His methods were very, very good for that time. If anybody's interested, there's a good um, a good paper on it by Martin Manse. You can find it on the internet. It's called "Knowledge is Power." The versatile expeditions of Peter Willem Kortels. That's just a preface for what I'm about to say. Mm. To understand who um, who Kortels was, is to understand the time. The history of Kratom is more or less um, a colonial history, mm. because um, until 1949, the Netherlands had control over a large part of the Malay archipelago called Dutch India. Mm-hmm which very roughly covered the area of present-day Indonesia. Whereas the British ruled the present-day territories of Myanmar, formerly Burma, and Malaysia, then called British Malaya, among others. The island of Borneo was dominated by the Netherlands in the south, while the north was, uh, was claimed by the British. It is therefore hardly surprising that first Dutch and British researchers discovered um, Kratom. These colonial powers were not only interested in mineral resources, but also in exploring and mapping the local fauna and flora in order to develop possible new products. Um, Mm -hmm. One of these organizations established um, was um, the Commission for Natural Sciences in Dutch India, which Kortos was a part of. And in 1836, uh, the traditional use of Kratom by the indigenous Malay population was reported for the first time. At that time, and this is important, Kratom was known by the name Biak or Bayek, I guess in English. Yeah. The Latin the Latin species term was not yet assigned at that time. That's important to keep in mind. It was not until 1839 that Cortals established the genus Mitrogena and the species Speciosa. He did 
at that time not provide a botanical description for this species, which is usually formally considered a necessary criterion to establish a new plant species. Mm -hmm. So who was this man? Um, he was born in 1807 in Amsterdam and died in Harlem in 1892. He was a botanist and a field researcher. And he worked extensively in the herbarium in Leiden. It was a very, very important herbarium at the time. Um, as a member of the commission, as I said, he made several research trips to the archipelago between 1831 and 1837. Um, in the course of these voyages, he made, he made um, beside Mitragena speciosa, other important botanical discoveries and brought a considerable collection of seeds, fruits, and plants back to the Netherlands, so not just um, Kratom alone. The invention, as I call it, of Kratom uh, was quite, uh, quite a bit confusing. Confusing. Um, in 1849, he transferred the Mitragena speciosa to, to one other genus called Stephagenin, and then renamed it to several other names and other artists, uh, authors renamed it. At last, the English naturalist George Darby Haviland renamed it back to Mitragena speciosa, which we call it today. This was in um, 1897. Another guy called uh, Edward Morrell Holmes, he identified the, this mysterious biak as Mitragena speciosa in 1895. So at that time, that was the first time that it was clear that biak and Mitragena speciosa are one plant. You can see one plant, but taxonomy was not clear at the time. So I found that quite uh, interesting. Did they name it Mitragena? I've read that it's named because the shape of the leaf looks like a bishop's mitre, like a bishop's hat. Is that? Is there any truth to that? Yes, that's that's what I read as well. I don't think it looks like this, this hat, but yes, that's what I read. <laughs> And do you know the the term biak? And and I've heard that. And was this in present day Indonesia where they called it that, or was it more in like Malaysia and Thailand? Yes, as far as I know, biak or biak biak, as well as kitum or kutum, was a Malaysian term. So he worked for the Dutch East India Company. That's who funded his uh, expeditions. Yes. Present-day Indonesia was called the Dutch East Indies back then. Were the purpose of his expeditions is uh, basically to see maybe like what the company could exploit to buy and sell, uh, maybe like new plants or new medicines, or were these funded just purely for scientific discovery? No, they had they had a clear um, purpose in mind. They they wanted to find products to sell. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what I it's figured. It's not just for scientific curiosity. <laughs> we hear a lot about these East India companies. Uh, there's there's a British one, there's a Dutch one. Did they start originally, um, they imported spices into Western Europe? Is that basically what they did? That's one thing that they did. Okay. Yes, but it was not just about products. It was also about knowledge, as I said, like um, mapping the area and just gaining control over it. You use some of his diaries. Are these available anywhere online or digitally? Or did you have to really uh, dig them up? Um, when I was doing my research, I, I, had, um, I had to call the Dutch National Museum. Uh, it's called uh, Naturalis or Naturalis. I don't know. The okay. Dutch National Museum for Natural History. 
But as far as I know, they started to digitalize it in 2020. So you maybe have to write them, but I think they're digital now. The only problem would be the bottleneck would be you have to learn Dutch, I think. But maybe you maybe it's it's digitalized in a very good way, so maybe you could use Google Translate or something. That's interesting. I would definitely like to look at the. Did he write it about the culture of how people use Kratom and what they used it for? I only got one part of it, but in these parts that I read, he didn't mention how the people use it. I found these informations in other texts. Okay, yeah, so let's talk about that. Um, I just just wanted to know, like, the earliest use of Kratom ever recorded. Uh, was it in Thailand or in the... Ne- where was it and what were people using it for? And how were they using it? Was it a tea or were they chewing the leaves? This is a very, very interesting question. I was asking myself the same thing because, as you may know, lots and lots of vendors are... Telling everybody, yeah, Thai people using it from the beginning of time and it was used all the time. But there are very, very few sources for this, these claims. Hmm. I believe so as well. Don't get me wrong. But um, I never found much, uh, much evidence to support this. But there is some. There was an, a, paper, a recent paper which said that um, there was a documented use of of Kratom around the 1650s. Yeah. I am not sure. Maybe Pascal Tangwai was talking about this in the other episode on your podcast. Yes, I'm not he was. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's when I heard about it. This is quite the earliest I have heard, but I have a theory why it could be still possible. You may heard that um, the word kratom is based on the Sanskrit word kadam. And this this word kadam is usually used to refer to the Laran tree, um, which is called in Latin Leo Lamachia kadamba. This is a tree whose distribution, uh, which distribution extends from the Indian subcontinent through Southeast Asia to Australia. And at first glance, the tree looks looks almost like kratom, especially when you look at the yellow spherical flowers. They look not the same, but very, very similar to kratom. Mm-hmm. And the word kratom is also said to be the actual Indian name for Mitragena parvifolia, for the sister plant of Speciosa. And this plant, Mitragena parvifolia, is considered sacred in Hinduism and is mentioned in a sacred text called Bhagavata Purana, it's translated as um, the ancient book of the Godhead. And I believe since Pervifolia and Speciosa have a quite similar appearance and a comparable, a comparable spectrum of effects, that the theory is very plausible that they used it from very early on, considering that the sacred texts are from 800 to 1000 before Christ. Now, is this plant, is it like a Mitragena genus plant? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Mitragena parvifolia is, is, it doesn't work exactly the same as, as Kratom does, but it has some of the same um, alkaloids. And in countries where Kratom is illegal, some people are using Mitragena parvifolia as a substitute. Is it ever sold by online you know like herbal legal herb type uh, vendors 
Yeah, sure. At least in Europe. Yeah. I, I don't know how is it in, in North of America, but um, it is sold here together with two other species. Maybe you heard of Mitragyna hirsuta or Mitragyna inermis. Yeah, I have. I, I've heard of that one. Now, what, yeah. what does that do? What, what are the differences and effects um, with all three of these plants? I only ever tested inermis. Mm-hmm. By a bioassay. The others, I only, um, friends told me that they used them because, as you may know, it is illegal in, in Switzerland. And people there told me um, it's like Kratom, but not that heavy. And it does give you more like a body high and not the, the psychological effects. Okay. But take this information with a grain of salt because I never took it myself so i can i cannot tell you that and so you you thought the one species was the one that was going back to in the bhagavad gita um was, Bhagavata Purana. so this might have been the one from 1650 is what you're saying yes maybe okay. it's mitrogena speciosa as well but my theory is that they didn't um make any difference between the two trees okay i think that's possible at least is it possible that people actually deliberately selected Kratom for its effects? Or is it just something that grew naturally and and that was always just harvested in the wild? I could very well believe both things. Okay. I, I certainly think that you can select for a certain purpose. And I think people did it. You see, uh, in Malaysia, Kratom was, was legal a very long time until 2003, I think, or something. They had a very long time to, to select a certain strain, I think. And maybe they got back to Indonesia and um, Thailand as well. But it's, a, it's an interesting question because I, there are lots of differences between Kratom from, from different countries. I'm sure you heard about it. It is interesting, and especially since they um, legalized Kratom in Thailand now, and Thai Kratom may be available. Have you been following anything that's gone on in Thailand, and uh, what's your impression of that? Yeah, first of all, I, I, I think it's quite good for all the people there. I think um, the quasi-legalization is good. But I don't think the Thai government did it for the consumers. I did. I think they did it because they want to have a share in the in the export. Indonesia is making big money, and I think Thailand wants to have a part of it. But it's okay for the users. I think. I think it's it's good for them. I hope they won't get back and forth and back and forth. But as Pascal Tanguay said, if there's a uh, more conservative uh, government, it will be it will take a step back and then it will be a step, step forward if a more progressive government comes. So let's see. I guess since we're on policy now, I, I just wanted to know what your impression of uh, the WHO decision was. Um, do you think that will influence policy in Germany or Europe? I think yes. I think... It was a very good decision, mm. and I followed it quite close, closely. Our friend Fabian Steinmetz was also there. I, I believe you have seen him as well, right? Yes. Yeah, he was on the podcast. Yeah, and he was as an expert on the ECDD uh, hearing. Mm-hmm. I think it was a very good decision, very informed decision, but um, they still monitor Kratom. We have to keep that in mind. But I think it's it was a good decision because if they had decided to schedule it, 
it would be illegal everywhere. And I think it sends a positive signal to the governments in Europe. But yeah, we have to keep the weapons up, so to say. I know you're talking about maybe like a European Kratom Association. Have Has there been any progress on that? Or is there any, um, you know, activity around Kratom policy in Germany or Europe? Yes, um, I once was involved with um, creating an European Kratom Association. It didn't work very well at the beginning, so it, it went quiet for some time. But now uh, another thing is evolving called the European Kratom Alliance. I think this is very, very interesting for your listeners. So um, first of all, I'm not a real member, so there's no formal contract between me and the um, European Kratom Alliance. But um, I'm like an ambassador or messenger for this thing. Um, it's an alliance between lots of European Kratom vendors and some activists which are trying to lobby the European Union to keep Kratom legal in the countries where it's legal right now and to make it legal where it is illegal right now. As far as I know, there's quite a bit of uh, money behind that. And it looks and sounds very good, what I already heard. That sounds really good. And we do have a kratomscience.eu page, and we have a couple of guys um, from Portugal writing. They're translating a lot of our articles into Spanish. and You can, you can contact them via um, contact at eka.eu. Okay, great, great, great. I'll, I definitely will. I wouldn't mind having somebody from there on the show, too, to talk about it. In general, do you see Kratom a lot in, in Germany? Um, like, maybe in Marburg, is there a shop that sells it? And how do most people buy their Tom there? I think I've never seen Kratom in a regular shop. <laughs> yeah. Ever. If you buy Kratom in Germany, you almost every time buy it via mail, uh, via, yeah. via web page, I mean. Mm -hmm. You order it online and... We have quite a lot of shops and it works very well. You have lots and lots of different vendors with different products. I can't complain, I think. So what about uh, some of the other early explorers? Did they have any writings about the, the use of Kratom? Maybe uh, descriptions about uh, how it was prepared or maybe the effects that they noticed that it might have had on consumers? Yeah, uh, for example, Leonard Ray in 1907... He wrote extensively about the use of kratom as a powder, not just by chewing, but as a powder, and about smoking kratom in form of madat. That's a very thick paste of kratom, kratom extract, with a little bit of um, like a burning agent to, to make it burn better in, a, in an opium pipe. It so there actually like was smoking of it. That, that's, that's interesting, cause, but it's not the same thing as the powder. It's not like somebody just had kratom dried leaves and put it in a powder and and you have a description yeah. of a paste in your book is that kind of the same thing yeah i try to 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 be as close to the to this historical description as possible and to see if you really can make a paste and to see if you really can can smoke it if, if you're able to smoke it because lots of people are telling me that you cannot smoke kratom and I said, okay, well, I, I, I tried to make it and uh, see what happens. What, what happened? Did it work? Um, yeah, I, I made that paste, uh, yeah. that, that, that stuff. Um, I smoked it in a, in a reimagined opium pipe 
thing. <laughs> and yes, it worked. I did that bio essay. Some some friends came over. We tried it together, and it worked. But I cannot recommend doing it because it's. I think it's a waste of kratom because it's not that strong. Are the effects uh, similar as like a tea? Because I I imagine you know with different admi- method of administration, then you know some of the alkaloids probably burn up in the pipe. Some of them get through. It's almost like drinking a tea. But the effects are immediate. Uh huh. And I had a little bit of headaches, two of my friends as well. Yeah. I don't know if, if that's you see, all of it is anecdotal. So yeah, I cannot recommend it. It was it was like drinking a, a very weak tea, immediate effects and a little bit of nausea, a little bit of headache headache. You also have like some other things in here like uh fruit juice, uh some gummies, I think. And there is a description about tea. And I can tell yeah. this because there are pictures. <laughs> I, I was going to ask. Now, you had uh, some tips as well about uh, the use of Kratom. And I just wondering if you would like to like go through those. These are maybe not exhaustive. I think these tips are, qui- are working quite well. So first of all, I'm a friend of uh, set, setting, and dose. Mm-hmm. Like with classic psychedelics. So don't take it when you're not in a okay mood don't take it to to push away bad feelings and we're we're speaking about hedonistic use right Mm -hmm. setting must be taken care of so don't don't take it when you're driving a car don't take it when you when you have to work with heavy machines and don't take it when when, to push away bad feelings and stuff if you're not familiar with your vendor it's always possible to heat your kratom up either bake it for 10 minutes in in an oven or just prepare a hot tea. It usually is, is enough to to kill black germs. And th- and this is like contaminants, like uh, maybe if there's like salmonella, maybe in some dirty yeah. kratom. If you heat it up, just like uh, if you cook uh, chicken, uh, then that that'll yeah. that'll kill some of the contaminants. It might not do anything about large amounts of heavy metals, but yeah, I've heard that yes. as well. If you know, if you make a tea, you should be fine. Yeah, but I also have to say I never heard about somebody getting salmonella from Kratom. This yeah, is purely that's very taking e- taking extra care. So I never heard about it. They um, have discovered salmonella in supplies of Kratom, but it's just kind of like any other vegetable that goes through uh, warehouses. That and actually the drying process, we know that sometimes it's dried outdoors. Uh, there's, so there's not a lot of um, regulation on that, and then like a lizard might pass over it, shit on it. That's how the salmonella probably gets into it, but it's not an uh, epidemic level problem, though. So, do you have any like? Is that all the tips? Do you have any more? Yeah, maybe the best tips of all: uh, stay hydrated. Um, yeah. Most of the of the bad effects of kratom are coming not from a kratom itself, but from from being dehydrated. So try to drink a lot, so you can can avoid having headaches or nausea or something. Um, another tip would be buying lab-proof kratom. I I think it's an it's a thing in North America as well. We have some vendors which are testing kratom to check if there are heavy metals or pesticides in it i think that's very useful if you intend to take kratom don't gamble just buy pure stuff what about drug drug interactions i personally don't 
take Kratom anywhere near drinking any alcohol because it just doesn't make me feel good and it it just cancels the other one out. What do you think about this um, idea of drug-drug interactions? Because there's reports of, they call them kratom-related deaths, but it's mostly the person had fentanyl in their system. Uh, those, I think it was in Sweden, maybe, where they had the O-desmethyltramadol in their system. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Yes. As you already said, um, I don't think there ha have been any kratom-related deaths without drug-drug interactions. Mm -hmm. At least I'm not aware of them. I don't think that kratom can kill you that easily. All these deaths were mostly fentanyl deaths. Um, I, I took a very, very careful look about all these death reports. Maybe you've, you've seen it on my, uh, on my Twitter page. I pinned it because yes. it's very important. I would say don't take other drugs if you're taking Kratom. I heard lots of people taking other um, pain medication while taking Kratom. And cool if it works, but I won't propose doing that mm -hmm. because we don't have clinical studies about it. And all the drug deaths we know about are drug-drug interaction deaths and not Kratom deaths. So especially don't take other opiates. That's very, very, very important. Also, um, stuff like DXM or allergic medication. Is there a, no, a good name for it in English? I don't know. I would say maybe antihistamine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This, this is a group of drugs I, al I also encountered a lot of times when, when, taking, when looking at these cases. And um, benzodiazepines. Okay. I wouldn't take them with Kratom as well. I've written uh, an article recently on in, in Lucy's magazine. Unfortunately, it's in, it's in German as well about drug-drug <laughs> interactions. I will send it over to you. Maybe you can take a look at it. In this paper, I propose why there are drug-drug interactions with Kratom. I think it's mostly because of the cytochrome P55 system. Have you ever heard about it? Yes. Now, you're talking about an enzyme, and I had this written down to ask you about. Um, it's Is it short, shortened to CYP450? It's an enzyme, and some people have a different system than others. So, yeah, please talk about that. The first thing you said, some people have other systems. You call them ultra-rapid or poor metabolizer. Okay. These are a little bit a different thing. There were some cases with kratom and liver toxicity. And the theory is that these persons are poor metabolizers and this caused the liver damage. Because usually you don't have a liver damage if you take kratom, but um, maybe this is just a theory at the moment. These, are, th these have a slightly different um, cytochrome system. But um, we all have this kind of system. And these are enzymes. If you take any medicine, these are the hormones which take it away. You know what I mean? You they met it metabolizes it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that, that was the word I was I was looking for. Yeah. 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 They metabolize it. It's CYP2D6 and CYP3A4. These are very important for metabolizing um, pharmaceuticals and also kratom. So. If you take one drug and another drug which, which is metabolized by the system, you can overstimulate your system. You know what I mean? Basically, your liver can only process so much. Your liver has a metabolizing processing power. If you put too many drugs in it at once, then it 
kind of shuts down and that that's when toxicity happens so is that the basic idea that's the basic idea and yeah. if there are any pharmacologists in the audience i apologize please don't behead me it's <laughs> I could explain it better in German. <laughs> How this came up was this Cleveland Clinic on their yeah. blog. Now, Cleveland Clinic is like a big medical healthcare giant in the United States. Uh, their headquarters is in Cleveland, but they're all over the place. And they published this blog post that said Kratom has even caused deaths. It literally said that. It didn't say Kratom-related deaths. It said Kratom has caused death, which is a yeah. pretty It's a pretty big medical statement. Uh, he did a, you know, a Twitter thread. You asked four sources for this claim. This guy sent 14 studies. None of the studies whatsoever had a, had a death that occurred with Kratom alone. Uh, the person either had fentanyl in their system, and, and Dirk did a pretty good breakdown of every single study like i guess my question is um have you ever seen a death um in any of these studies that was caused by kratom alone maybe like a very big amount like a water intoxication level kratom death not that i i am aware of mm -hmm. let's take uh, i'm already looking at the um, at this um twitter thread yeah looking all over it I think there was one which was maybe just with Kratom, but I don't think so. I think there was one case report where they, where the guy already uh, had bottles of other medicines and lots and lots of bottles of uh, medicines laying around around him when they found him dead. I think so. It's safe to assume yeah. that he has taken lots of other stuff because, yeah. There's no clinical evidence that Kratom has caused death. You know, there's a history of safe use in, in Thailand, even though I think people now are taking more of it that, that's causing other problems. I think there may be one or two out there where uh, somebody took a toxic amount of extracts, but <clears throat> it's on the level of, like, I heard of a guy that just as a goof ate nothing but licorice for three weeks and he died so yeah. <laughs> basically from probably sugar intoxication or something like that um so there might be a couple instances like that what do you think i don't know how it works in germany or europe but here sometimes we have a coroners uh like medical examiners that examine deaths that are elected to their position so first of all they're not qualified even if they are qualified they work on a deadline and they're telling some people that uh, you know we found nitrogenine in this person's system when he died therefore that's what caused the death what what do you think of that and to me it just exacerbates the problem because there's families out there that say my husband my son died of kratom there's even a lawsuit in philadelphia that's going on right now uh of parents suing a kratom company f because their son died he had a seizure uh and he died in a car accident so what do you think of all that uh, as far as uh, medical examiners because i think it happens across the board with other drugs and and the news media will pick it up and say this scary new drug is killing people. Um, I just want to get your impression of all that. We don't have the system like we don't elect coronas or something. I find that very weird to be frank. <laughs> and I think the coronas or medical examiners in Germany are are working very good. Yeah. At least I haven't heard any other thing. But to to be clear. 
we have the same media that that pushes the narrative of this strange new drug is killing kids and something. Yeah. We, al we already had it with Salvia Divinorum some years ago. I think, and to be clear, every drug can kill you, even Kratom, if you take enough, enough of it. Yes. But we have to look about what are the usual doses people are taking. And is it possible? I mean, okay, maybe you die if you eat one, one or two kilograms of, of Kratom powder. Mm. Good luck by trying this out. It's not happening, but <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Maybe you can die, by, but we had to. We have to look to what dosages are people taken, and I think even if somebody dies, it's not the fault of the drug; it's the fault of the prohibition because, or the 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 failure to communicate how to take drugs safely, and this is a problem in America. This is a problem in Europe. We have this thinking, don't tell kids about drugs and they won't take drugs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, very, very harmful to youth because if we, tell, if we tell them to take it in a safe manner, we don't have any deaths. Because if we, if, if, if we begin to label substances as bad substances, we also had, have to, to, to forbid the usage of, of caffeine, for example. Mm -hmm. If you go in a German pharmacy, you can... You can um, buy these these coffee caffeine tablets caffeine yeah. uh, like uh, um, pills to just keep you awake and stuff if you eat enough of them you can die but you can you can buy it over the counter more or less and not very many and, either you, uh, it's yeah caffeine will kill you faster than my tragedy or salt or yeah you name it yeah i think education is better than prohibition yeah i think i guess that's my statement in short Cannabis is still prohibited in, in many of the countries in the European Union. I mean, even people talk about the Netherlands, uh, even it's just decriminalized there. Do you know about this um, group that uh, Dr. Steinmetz is in, the European Coalition for Just and Effective Drug Policies? Uh, are you involved in any of that? And just what's your impression about, in general, the drug policies in Germany and Europe? I am not involved in any of these organizations, but I like NCOT very, very much, and I'm planning to join them sometime in the future. I think the drug policies in, in Germany especially are going to be a lot different if we're lucky, because as you may know, the new government of Germany said that they want to legalize um, marijuana, like cannabis, I mean. And I think this will be the gateway this could be the gateway to a better drug policy first in germany but i think if germany really legalizes cannabis for recreational purposes there is a very good chance that other countries in europe will follow especially because um, portugal is is taking these steps since since decades mm -hmm. And they have no problems at, at all. And Germany is very has a great influence in Europe. So I I hope yeah. they can they can influence European politics. But still, I'm curious how they will make it because we're we have still these single convention and on narcotic drugs and stuff. You 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 know what I mean. So yeah. it's not really really. I'm uh, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how how. You can legalize something, but still be in the single convention. So let's see how they will sort this out. But fortun mm. fortunately, um, Kratom is not in the single convention. So that's also very good. 
Claude Rifat or Refat. He wrote a lot of stuff on the internet. I'm I'm just wondering about. Um, there's even a plant now called the Rifat kratom. I think it's an actual strain. I don't know if it's a strain literally, but he developed a uh, kratom tree that you can buy Rifat kratom trees. And I'm just wondering if you want to talk about him a little bit and his work with kratom. Claude Rifat or Rifat, I don't know how, how to pronounce his name. He, I think he died 20 years ago already. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, he, he died in 2002. He was a French biologist and psychonaut. And mm-hmm. I think he was, you could also name him an underground researcher. He did a lot, he did um, write a lot about GHB, I think, and also about other drugs. And he, he is credited with bringing the first life material of Kratom out of, out of Thailand. Mm. You know, when, when, when Kratom was still illegal in Thailand, he went there and he took, um, he took some leaves with him and brought it to to other parts of the world i think also to australia because it was at that time it was still illegal in australia and i think most of the strains strange that we have um, right now in europe and in north america are refat strain don't nail me down on this but i think he yeah. was the one who brought who brought life material to the western world and we still have it today yeah i just wanted to to tell the audience Take a look at shamanaustralis.com. Just Google Shaman Australis Claude Refat and take a look. I think there's an archived um, page about him or from him. It looks like the old, a little bit like the like the homepage of Terence McKenna. There are lots of really, really weird but really, really good um, essays about drug use. I think. Yeah, I, side note. yes, I have seen that. I'll put the link in um, the description, but I ha- I have seen that. And yeah, he's definitely uh, akin to Terrence McKenna where he goes into he goes into a lot of visions and he kind of fictionalizes it a little bit. And it's really interesting. He was a really interesting guy. Part of your book is uh, growing kratom, which I'm trying to grow a kratom tree. I, I have um, my friend uh, Soren Shade. He's in uh, West Virginia, and he has a greenhouse where he's growing kratom for his company. And he brought me a cutting. And since he brought me the cutting, I put it in a bigger pot, and the thing has not grown. It's dormant, but it's a nice. It's still healthy, but it won't produce any more leaves i think it had some transplant shock and 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 it's a little cool in the house we don't keep the house above 70 in the winter just for energy saving purposes you were talking about growing kratom i was just wondering if you do grow kratom in germany i live in pittsburgh so that's pretty much a similar climate to germany i think our growing region is 7b maybe or 7a we definitely couldn't keep a kratom tree outside in the winter and have it survive um do you have any uh, just general tips for uh, growing kratom (laughs) being a very very Tropical climate is the best tip. Yes. <laughs> um, I, uh, no, I was joking. Um, so if you can be in a nice, nice uh, tropical Florida. climate. But <laughs> yes, yes, be in Florida or be in um, southern France or Italy or something. I'm growing them still. Um, I'm growing them just as an ornamental plant. I couldn't 
I couldn't take leaves from it. There, there are maybe 50 leaves on that plant and yeah. it's not growing very fast because it's we don't have that much much light. I think maybe one could try to use LED lights like, like one you would use when he or she is growing cannabis. Yeah. I'm, I'm about to order sure some. You need, <laughs> you need more light and maybe, maybe a heating in winter. Um, are you working on maybe a new book or, or just any project you're working on? Um, uh, for your doctorate that you like to talk about? Yeah, I, I still keep up with the Kratom news, of course. Yeah. I am looking forward um, to the Amer uh, European Kratom Alliance. I hope that um, they told me they want to start at the beginning of next year and also to have to start acquiring new members and everything. I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm trying to start a uh, YouTube channel with video essays about drug myths and drug culture. Oh, great. Do you have the channel? Um, I haven't started it yet. Oh, okay, I am okay. re I'm rendering the first first three videos at the moment, so I wanted to have a, have some episodes in the back so I can keep a schedule. But um, I will promote it on my um, Twitter page, so if anybody is interested, I will def most definitely have an, one or two episodes about Kratom, but also about other drug-related stuff. Follow me if you're interested. One last thing, um, don't always take my word for it. Um, if you have any questions about drug-drug interactions or your body or something, ask a doctor and physician and a toxicologist. Just make sure if you do something to your body, take an informed decision. Thank you, Dirt Netter. Follow him on Twitter at Dirt Netter. Follow us at Kratom Science. Like our Facebook page. Please share this podcast. Like, subscribe, comment, rate, review. The music is Risey. The song is called Memories of Thailand. The Kratom Science podcast is written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.